0: Watchers in the Fourth Dimension
1: My dear fellow, I simply don't happen to have a pass. It's alright, I won't hurt you.
2: You're being deliberately unhelpful, Brigadier.
0: Hello, and welcome back to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. And Brigadier, I shall need worldwide triangulation immediately. And this episode, it is our moral duty to bring you our discussion on the Season 7 classic, The Ambassadors of Death. (laughs) However, before we get started on the story, it's time for a quick look at the mail. Julie, I believe that's with you this week, so over to you.
2: All right, we do have quite a bit of feedback, so I'm going to try to sort this out as quickly as possible. We got one. For Daughters of the God, uh, this is on Instagram from Barosa, And he's like, oh, heck yeah, I've been waiting for this one. Really happy to hear that. It's exciting to go through Big Finish production with Fraser Hines and Peter Purvis. And it was a great characterization of Katerina. Then let's move over to our season six retrospective. Our friend Keith Burton on Facebook. I'd love to see more continuity between season six and seven. Isabel and Jamie would have been great in the Pertwee era. Jimmy as the Briggs deputy. And since Isabel would have insisted on getting involved, we should have ready-made companion. I can't necessarily disagree. I think it would just be either those two or Lieutenant Carstairs and Lady Jennifer. We'll just have them battle it out. <laughs> (laughs) For Patrick Trouton retrospective, good friend Adam Wright on Facebook, and he said, I love this episode. The shout out at the end made me smile. This is why the watchers are my Who family.
3: Aww. Aww. Which
2: I love, and hopefully we can catch up at another convention one day once we get back in person. We also have Keith Burton again on Facebook. Great episode as always. Can't wait to see what the team makes of season seven, which is arguably the darkest and most mature the show has ever been. Quite a change from parts of season six. Well, I hope we don't disappoint. (laughs) Any negativity from me largely stems from Jamie with withdrawal. We also have from Mark Heffernan. It's been a lot of fun listening to you all journey through my favorite era of the show. The black and white era featured his favorite doctor. The second doctor. I can't say I blame you. And my favorite story cell, The true historical. See, Riley, you're wrong. Looking forward to your thoughts on the upcoming unit era. And we also have Terry Fedora on Instagram. I'm going to paraphrase this. Favorite episode is The Mind Roberts, creative, fanciful, with unique ideas and imagery. Um, Didn't follow the normal base under siege, but went somewhere else entirely. And their second favorite episode is The Enemy of the World. It had a little bit of adventure, and you get a chance to see Patrick Troughton flexing his acting muscles, which I totally agree with Enemy of the World. It's wonderful. And then last but not least, I, we got some general feedback. We got an email from Bearded Beatnik. And again, I'm going to paraphrase. It's a rather long email. He's discovered our podcast just last week and binged all of the episodes during your road trip.
3: Wow. Oh, my God.
0: <laughs> wow. Long road trip.
2: Long road trip. And I'm really sorry, but I have not been able to bring myself back to listen to the beginning because I feel like those episodes are rough. But thank you. <laughs> He's also a longtime watcher of Doctor Who and has wanted a discussion group like us for a long time. A mix of English and American, some old Whovian and new Whovian. And I hope you also like the dynamic of man versus woman. And then he can't wait for us to start Pertwee. And that was his first Doctor. And again, hope we don't disappoint. And then some final thoughts. And although your scathing review of The Dominators made my inner teenage Whovian (laughs) wince, I can't wait to hear more. You rock. Keep up the good work.
0: You know, I'm surprised at how many people I've come across lately who've said that they really like The Dominators. I'm just sitting there going, did we watch the same few episodes as <laughs> you guys? Did we watch the wrong thing? Never let anyone's review impact your enjoyment
3: of something. If you like it, you like it. Yeah. And that's awesome. And I'm proof. Tinserrites,
0: <laughs> web planet. Yeah. <laughs> I like the web planet. All right. Thank you, Julie, for sorting through the mail for us. And as a reminder, we really do love to hear from our listeners. So if you would like to get in touch, you can email us at Watches4D at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Watches4D. Moving into our actual discussion, we're going to start, as usual, with behind the scenes. And with the ambassadors of death, we have a very troubled production. Former story editor David Whittaker had been approached about contributing another script to the show almost as soon as he had finished work on The Wheel in Space, which was way back at the end of season five in 1968. Set in the present day, Whittaker's storyline was intended to depict humanity's first encounter with alien life. With a working title of The Invaders from Mars, the scripts continued to be developed into 1969 when Terence Dix took over as script editor and Derek Sherwin had become producer. The two commissioned Whittaker, formally to write a six-part story, with the title changed to The Carrier's of Death. Whitaker, in writing his scripts, had to account for the coming changes to the show, a new Doctor who'd be exiled to Earth, the replacement of Jamie and Zoe with Liz, and Unit becoming a regular part of the show, as well as shifting goalposts on the number of episodes that the story would actually end up being. Now, unsurprisingly, with all of these changes, problems very rapidly arose with the scripts. After Whitaker turned in his first two episodes, Sherwin decided that his approach was not what they were looking for and asked assistant script editor Trevor Ray to rewrite the script for episode one and send it back to Whitaker to provide guidance on what was actually wanted by the production team. Whitaker and the production team then met several times but were unable to come to terms with a suitable way of moving forward. And after delivering episode three, Whitaker agreed to stop working on the serial entirely. Malcolm Hulk, who had recently completed work on Doctor Who and the Silurians, was commissioned to revise the scripts to Episodes 2 and 3, and then to write the final four parts himself, although Whittaker would receive sole on-screen credit for all seven parts. To allow Hulk time to complete this task, the Carriers of Death and the Silurians were transposed in the season's running order. As a reminder, this was originally meant to be the second story, and the Silurians was meant to be the third. David Whittaker, of course, was responsible for so much of the early direction of the show, and one could argue that without his influence, it wouldn't have lasted for so long, probably not till season seven, and certainly not to where it is today. It really is a shame that this would turn out to be his very last contribution to the show, at least on screen, and it's really disappointing that someone who contributed so much would be going out with a whimper. Brought in to direct this serial was Michael Ferguson, whom we've previously seen directing season three's The War Machines and season six's The Seeds of Death. Joining him behind the scenes is designer David Myerskoff jones who had designed season five's The Web of Fear, and Christine Rawlins continues her run on the show, while Dudley Simpson once again provides incidental music. During recording, two significant changes occurred. Firstly, the serial's title was changed to The Ambassadors of Death, which I think is much more epic than The Carriers of Death. The second change was to bring back John Levine as Benton, now promoted to sergeant. The script had actually called for an unnamed sergeant, and as it was planned to bring back Benton in the final serial of the season, it made sense for him to fill that role here too. The unit family is slowly but surely coming together. One final thing I'd like to mention before we move into our short summary is that broadcasts of this story also coincided with the Apollo 13 launch, troubles, and its eventual return to Earth. Somehow I doubt that there were alien ambassadors involved in that, though.
3: That's what they want you to think. Yeah,
0: I know, right? Now, moving on to our short summary, it's actually my pleasure to provide that this episode, so I get to talk rather a lot this time around. There's a mystery surrounding three astronauts who've been stranded in space. Thankfully, it's not Branson, Bezos, and Musk, otherwise everyone might have just decided that it would be better to just leave them there. (laughs) When they do eventually return to Earth, there's a mystery involving allegedly contagious radiation, nefarious plans to assassinate officials, and tentative plans to rob banks, maybe? Naturally, the Doctor is suspicious, and the astronauts actually turn out to be alien ambassadors and everything else turns out to be part of a conspiracy by a xenophobic general with the real astronauts still in space. Quite why the aliens decided to send ambassadors to Earth when they know that they kill humans on touch and both species could just use the video phones that they both have in order to communicate. I just don't know.
2: And I'd have seven episodes worth of my life back.
0: (laughs) (laughs) With that, we're moving into our story discussion. And as Julie mentioned, we do have seven episodes to get through. So once again, much like we did last time around, we're going to try and keep this tight. So episode one. The credits. What Uh. the hell?
3: I think they have a need for attention. They're lonely (laughs) because they're over. And then suddenly, hi, guys, I'm back. And it's really freaking me out every time.
2: (laughs) I Uh. really love it. Nope.
0: (laughs) I love the way it's almost like a pre-credits teaser. And then they come back for the second part. And it's like the ambassadors, bam, of death.
2: I love (laughs) it so hard. The problem is, is that the music never resolves. And it is very weird. It's poorly edited. If they maybe tried to tone it down and actually fit the music, then maybe I'd be okay. But I'm not okay.
1: I'm a strong believer in opening credits for television shows. I felt sad when there was a push lately with shows not having like opening credits or not having theme song or something to tie it all together. And the fact that Netflix and Amazon allows you to skip those portions, I think it's very important. It's done there. Mm. It's put there for a reason, not just to tell you what it is, but to get you in the mindset, get you in the mood. And the Doctor Who theme gets me in the mood. Not though when it gives it to me and then all of a sudden jerks me right back. I'm like, whoa, well, then what the hell is happening? Just let it settle and have that little reverberation at the end of the theme song.
0: And then I'm settled. That's how it should be. So I'm literally the only one who loves it. And I'm the only one that loves the way that of death zooms in. <laughs> I personally felt yeah. attacked
3: by the opening credits. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so we have the opening credits and then we get this reporter narrator guy and I love him.
3: It felt very New Who. Yeah,
2: it felt New Who, but it also felt like documentary meets the radio broadcaster who is in the Snoopy and the Red Baron album by the yeah. Royal Guardsmen. <laughs>
3: But then we get what I consider to be this season's foam machine, which is the questionable green screen. Oh uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> That's the Pertwee Eras foam machine. But before we get onto that, I just want to say with the reporter and the black and white footage of the astronaut before we get the credit reprise, that feels very, very topical. Apollo eleven happened in January nineteen sixty-nine between season six and seven. And as I mentioned, I think it was between episodes four and five that Apollo 13 happened. So a lot of kind of space mania at this time. I think a lot of people would have been really familiar with the format. So I think it's just a really, really smart framing device.
3: It's an excellent framing device. I like the effect that they used on the astronaut's voice. It helped really get that feel that he was very far away. I thought that was very cool.
2: Mm -hmm. I like that. I didn't like the beeps. I understand that that's what (laughs) happens, but I still don't like it.
0: Well, I think we remember from the Silurian Julie, you do not like random beeps. No, nope, <laughs> I don't. Let's talk about the scene with the TARDIS console.
1: The third Doctor's TARDIS interior is fly <laughs> as hell. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. I'm just left wondering how he got the console out of the TARDIS. I mean, those doors are not big enough. <laughs>
2: it was very different.
0: That's what happened off screen. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That has
1: got a smooth kind of bachelor pack kind of feel. You see him like got a bottle of Crevocier up there somewhere. Nice.
2: <laughs> All right. We then get that sequence with the doctor and Liz and things are disappearing and reappearing. I love that.
1: It's a cute little cute little bit in it and they play, you know, it's,
0: it's foreshadowing for later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like in this scene as well, you get the reference to the events of the Silurians, particularly, you know, the doctor says something like, I suppose he, the has got to do something to occupy his mind now that he's blown up the Silurians, which kind of gives us that answer to why the hell a unit hanging out at Space Mission Command, even though there's nothing really in there, there as well as tying it back. I just think that's
1: pretty neat. The brigadier has to keep himself occupied so as not to hear the dying screams of all the Silurians (laughs) that he's murdered. Wow.
2: I'm going to skip around to a few things. We get introduced to this guy named Taltarian, and I swear I thought it was D'Artagnan. I thought so too!
1: (laughs) Taltalian. It took me till the fifth episode for me to be like, oh, wait, no, it's something
0: else. I need to look this up in the transcript because I can't understand what the hell they're saying. It's like Italian, but with Tal instead of the I. Tal Talian. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's got a pretty outrageous French accent. Oh, yeah. Except for once. <laughs> yeah.
3: There is once in this serial when he loses his accent completely.
0: <laughs> yes. But what's amazing is this guy was born and raised in France and apparently the accent's real. So quite why he loses it at one point, I don't know. Wow.
2: Spent too much time in London.
1: Also, going back to what you were saying about the framing device, it was wonderful to have it connect to the Doctor and Liz watching it on TV in the TARDIS. And then you can connect the two scenes that way. That was a really nice touch, I thought. They had to, otherwise it wouldn't have made any sense. That's true, yeah. But it just works because I don't think I remember them ever doing something like that on the show before of connecting them of watching a television broadcast where arguably the other... Yeah, you know, I don't think we would consider officially the Brigadier as being the companion here, one of the companions, but it does connect our, our group.
0: Yeah, and it's a device we see a couple more times in the We era. So more to come. Speaking of things that
1: I thought were gone and now we apparently have more to come... Sweet, sweet space docking, just like the space pirates. It was it was wonderful, but the music was divine. Can we talk about the music for a minute? Especially <laughs> the music what, was amazing. What
3: I think is the unit theme. I, I sent, uh, you know, what, you know where I'm going with this, Anthony. I sent Anthony a text about the music. I'm like, is some hippie going to start singing about hobbits and wizards? Because it sounds like that's going to happen any second now. The way this music is going.
0: Yeah, with the unit theme. I
1: believe it's the unit theme. Yes, it was a unit theme that had that kind of feel. On a
0: great adventure. I really liked that theme. It's kind of jazzy, a little bit subversive.
2: So I love the theme, but it's out of context.
0: Exactly.
2: (laughs) It needs to be in something else that's not this. I mean, to be fair...
0: Our favorite previous unit theme, the jaunty military music from the invasion, was out of place against all the moody music in that story.
2: No, no, no. The jaunty military music at least used either a whistle or a fife And it actually had that feel of the British Grenaders theme that is across the board used everywhere um, in all of cinema. Whereas this jazzy interlude uh, (laughs) makes no sense. It doesn't have that. It does have a flute, which is fantastic, but a flute doesn't belong. If it's a fife, it does. There's a difference.
3: There's a lot of randomness and non-cohesion within the soundtrack. The Mm -hmm. Ambassadors had a, a questionable theme, but there's a lot of random stings throughout and and weird oops i fell on the synthesizer
1: keyboard noises it's really odd and that happens throughout the serial i loved it i absolutely loved it i know it doesn't fit but i thought it was really amazing that they were able to take the
0: instrumental tracks from a donovan album and put it into a <laughs> Who <new> episode <laughs> But going back to to the docking shot and the music specifically that was used there, it felt very much like Air on a G or A Whiter Shade of Pale, and I thought that was a wonderful piece. Because that harpsichord is rocking.
2: Well, the thing is, is I actually really enjoyed the docking scene as well. I thought that the miniatures that they used were good, and that all flowed very well. There's some other ones where I didn't think the model work was done as well, but this one I was okay with.
0: And we cut from the model scene into Van Luyden going into Mars Probe 7, and it's very slow and deliberate, almost like you're watching Apollo 11. And... As he opens it, you get that kind of silent scream with the pulse noise or whatever they called it, followed by those really fast-changing close-ups between Cornish, the Doctor, the Brigadier, Taltalian. I thought that was so, so effective. I loved the way that was directed.
3: I think he was screaming in tears because he was afraid it was going to be another Cyberman episode too, but (laughs)
1: luckily we were okay.
0: We haven't even talked about the warehouse
1: fight. I know, I was crazy. I thought I was watching Doctor Who, it turned into an A-Team episode. Hey,
0: seven-year-old me loved the warehouse fight. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> and of course, this story is the first one where the team Havoc, H-A-V-O-C, is credited as providing the action. So here we have our first <laughs> official action by Havoc, and they will be quite the mainstay <laughs> of the part we era. What
3: was Uh-oh. it the line Try Not to Kill anyone? And then he immediately goes out with like a machine gun. Yeah. yeah, that wasn't just me blinking and missing something important.
2: Nope, no.
1: And then we have our cliffhanger going back to the space control. And my th- first thought was, man, D'Artagnan, that guy really doesn't want to share his computer. <laughs> no, no,
2: <laughs> nope, not at all.
0: Lots to enjoy here, but it, this episode doesn't really go anywhere. It sets up the mystery very, very slowly. No, yeah.
1: <laughs> very, yeah. very slowly. Just like the entire serial. <laughs>
0: we don't have much. We've got space and we've got this weird signal plus some shadowy guys in a warehouse. And that's all we have to go on. Anyway, episode two. The doctor gains a superpower.
2: <laughs> yeah, out of nowhere.
0: I told you he was a magician.
2: What's really funny is after that whole sequence, because at first it looks like Liz might get kidnapped and then she's not. And I was like, at least she didn't get kidnapped. And then I had to put in parentheses. Uh,
1: yet. Yet. Yes. <laughs> Yet. Yeah, I, I immediately just kind of, my shoulders slumped, and I'm like, oh, no. And then, oh, he just threw her on the floor. Okay, this is fine. Meanwhile, a few episodes later, and then we learned that, th- all right, I'm going to call him D'Artagnan. I'm just going to call him that for the rest <laughs> of the way. I don't care. I love how the doctor is able to determine that the computers have been messed with. It's not exactly I'm not a computer hacker, but I always thought that keeping it kind of hidden is the best thing to do. Not having it be able to do basic mathematics Uh might throw people off that. Oh, wait, maybe someone tampered with this. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yep. Although we also get, and other than the 2 plus 2 equals 5 bit, the guy that they had captured and is in that cell, there's another weird jazzy interlude while he (laughs) reclines in his cell like Jeff Goldblum.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's so good, though. It's so good. Before they get Recovery 7 back... They go out into the field, and we get another helicopter. It's like they're spending all their money this season on no, helicopters. No, 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 no,
1: no, no. They they obviously had the rental left over from the Silurian episodes, <laughs> and they just probably just tacked on this scene and like did it that way. They probably have like an extra day with it or something. That's my guess.
2: But what's even better is that I get another trigger with these weird mask things that these guys are wearing I, I don't know what was going on there but they're wearing like those like glasses goggle things but then there's like the silver sheen over their face I'm like, why why again
0: I mean they've got smoke bombs they've got stun guns um, where did the stun guns come from I said this is where the episode
1: at the very beginning is a sci-fi premise and then we slowly turn into a team episodes <laughs> that eventually roll into like a conspiracy espionage show that's the whole
3: thing this this is not. Doctor Who, this is just vicious quarter masturbation the whole way through.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there there are so many similarities between this and the Quatermass experiment, but that's a whole nother discussion.
3: I think they even filmed at the same location later on at that that factory with all the pipes and stuff. I'm like, that looks really familiar. Didn't we see that in Quatermass 2, maybe?
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm really sad about? In the second Doctor era, when unit first gets established, they're super competent and they run like a well-oiled machine. And now I'm just sitting here, I'm I'm very disappointed. They are really (laughs) terrible at their jobs. And what happened?
0: Hey, there was that one unit soldier who tried to be an absolute hero and get on the helicopter that was part of the ambush. It's true. What a legend. And yet everyone else is just like, meh, (laughs) at least one person cares about their job. Only one. I mean, if
3: you look at this entire serial, so much of it could have been like, what, three episodes shorter if gate guards knew how to do their job. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you have a guard that knows how to do, because I mean, so many people just died because people just walk on through. It's, it's kind of sad.
2: And like we had talked about in, in the Silorians, why is Unit here?
0: Because the Brigadier has to have something to do. <laughs> Besides talk <laughs> yeah. on the phone. <laughs>
1: And blow up Silurians. Well, you know, despite the action scenes, there was one bit in this second episode that I did enjoy. I did like it. It was a, it reminded me a little bit of the second Doctor, the third Doctor, kind of putting on a different character in order to fool them with the broken down carpet. He made his yeah. voice sound a little bit more elderly. You know, yeah. that, I love that. And I, I'm hoping for more. I'm hoping for another German doctor, maybe, in the future. <laughs> and then he has his magic
3: security system that sticks them to the car somehow. Absolute mad
0: lad. Yes. <laughs> yep. Proto Batmobile. And... You know, he gets back to the space center before Liz can explain what had happened, and he's brought back the capsule. I mean, the Doctor's an absolute hero here. Yes, he is.
2: Absolutely. And then we get introduced to one of the worst people, and it's Sir James.
0: Sir James Quinlan, yeah. He is so (laughs) establishment that he is wearing an old Etonian tie. Oh, is that? Oh, okay. Yeah, so of course, you know, he's part of like the establishment old boys club, so that's why he's friends with Carrington and Taltalian and crew. They probably all went to the same school and all went to the same Oxford College and what have you.
2: So really this all started probably about 30 years prior with a whole bunch of guys just sticking around. Cool. Yes. Awesome. That makes me feel good. One thing I also have to comment on is I don't particularly care for the endings of many of these episodes because they're somewhat cliffhangers, but they're so quick.
0: Right. Cut it open. <laughs> yeah.
2: I I, mm, I don't like it.
0: We can't cut it open. It might harm the astronauts. And then they, they're they just saying the same thing over and over. So yeah, we'll just cut it open. Who cares?
2: But it's just like, it's its so quick. It's just like, I, I don't know. I like a good cliffhanger, but I don't like, all right, that was two seconds and we're done. Yeah.
0: <gasps> so this is one of the ones that I originally saw as like an edited together movie style version on UK Gold in the mid 90s. And again, at the time, this one was entirely in black and white. So that added a different atmosphere to it. But where we're seeing these cliffhangers, I saw commercial breaks instead. So right, cut it open led to, you know, commercials for the latest Honda and washing machine detergents and all that kind of stuff. It really adds a different feel to it. Episode three? Episode three. Oh, we didn't get our cliffhanger
3: of the the voice, though, coming over the radio asking for reentry.
0: Yes, again and again and again. And then, right, cut it open. All right, episode three. (sighs)
1: Episode three, the the serial has the same issue that a lot of other serials does. It gets it a little bit lean in between, especially when it runs seven episodes to eight episodes long. And one thing that kind of stuck with me is that it really blew my mind where, as I will now call him General Moral Duty. (laughs) uh, General Moral Duty, as he becomes more and more the focus of the serial at this point, he comes in, and with Quinlan, and I know I'm jumping far into episode three, this whole the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing excuse, how the hell is that supposed to work? People are dead. People have died <laughs> in gunfights and, and, and such. How would that be like, oh, shucks? Well, you know, I mean, do the FBI and CIA have this happen all the time? Like, sorry about killing a couple of your guys. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, just one of those things. It makes no sense.
0: Yeah. That said, I think the Doctor sees how ridiculous it is because he appears to ease the situation a little after they're introduced to Carrington with a joke and then immediately get serious again. Like He's like, oh, yeah, yeah." no. My idea is that I think the Doctor is just immediately keen
1: on on him and Quinlan. He just is immediately suspicious. As well he should be
3: because they are very suspicious from the moment that they're introduced. (laughs) (laughs) This episode's quite... Oh, sorry, Julie, go ahead.
2: Mine was just completely going to be off the wall because I wanted to talk about Liz's hat.
3: Oh, it is wonderful. I assumed we would get to Liz's hat at some point. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even joking. I wrote nice hat Liz.
0: I mean, I realized that where she's in Bessie with the hat, the hair blowing in the wind, I'm going to be honest, I've never really been attracted to Liz before, but wow, <laughs> watching this, I was like, oh, hey, Liz. Yep. A power of a good hat.
2: Always need a good hat. Anyway, sorry. I I had to throw that in there.
0: No, you're good. This episode, despite whatever's going on with Quinlan and Carrington and Liz's hat, is pretty brutal. This is where we see some scientists getting killed, and then the people who killed them are subsequently killed. And they're all (laughs) then put into a quarry and made to look like an accident until everyone finds out that the bodies are all horrendously radioactive. It's pretty brutal. Isn't this also where we have the magic van...
3: That has some yes. rather dirty names of Hey ho oh. which changes to Silcock.
0: <laughs> that's just rude. Okay. Yes.
2: yes, 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 it is. I have a question about all this radioactive business. One, I know that everything had to be radioactive in the 70s. So that's <laughs> neither here nor there. By law, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but so many times throughout this whole thing, I'm like, people are radioactive. These rooms are radioactive. And I'm like, some of these people are just walking around with no suits. I'm like, you guys are going to get poisoning because of all of this like they don't do a very good job
0: yeah they're all gonna get cancer
1: yeah that's the thing they treat radioactivity as if it's like a game of tag not that it just (laughs) stays around like it would Uh. it's like oh it's totally fine that person is incredibly radioactive walk past you that's no problem but if he touches you with your pinky then you're just completely toast you're done you're done for
0: it seems like this radiation has an incredibly short (laughs) (laughs) half-life insane short half-life and then (laughs) On top of that, at times it's treated almost like David Whitaker's favorite thing in the world, static electricity.
3: This is what <laughs> scientists call plot-selective radiation. Yes. yes. Very big yes. in the it 70s. Yeah.
1: And obviously it sounds like we don't want to stay on episode three very much, but we should talk about the nice little chase scene of them trying to capture Liz. And I have to say, she has a Quite a mean backhand on her. That was pretty impressive, knocking that guy out. I
0: like it. For me, that just adds to her attractiveness. (laughs)
3: That's good. She was very good.
2: She's like hanging over water. She's wearing go-go boots with a Mm -hmm. white hat. And it's just, oh, she keeps going. I love it.
0: She's smart. She's determined. She looks great in the hat. What more could she possibly want? She never panics. You find that later on throughout the serial, but
3: she keeps her smartassery no matter who is talking to her.
1: That is very true and sh- that is that is a very good description of her character. That was what I was getting, getting so concerned about as we discussed earlier when we thought she was going to be taken hostage by D'Artagnan. She's not. We all were relieved. Now it actually has happened now and I was getting very worried that oh boy, here we go. But she just seemed like it was no thing. She just kept operating as if she was still trying to solve the issue freely, not while she was being captured. It was very impressive.
0: I think while this episode seems to be a lot of filler, there are some important things here. We get introduced to Dr. Lennox, which is, of course, the legendary, nervous British actor, Cyril Shaps, And his amazing <laughs> flyaway hair. Yeah. <laughs> we get the introduction of the absolute bastard that is Regan. We've got the doctor knowing that something is going on and that the spacesuits that we see aren't their missing astronauts. Cornish suspects that Quinlan is working against them. So there's a lot going on here, but it's almost a, a pass-through episode, for want of a better term. But we end with Liz flipping over the side of that dam, whatever it was. I don't know what that was meant to be. Less of a cliffhanger and more of a bridge hanger, I guess you would call it. Bridge hanger, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that takes us into episode four. And of course, the guys chasing her aren't going to let her fall.
2: It's weird to me, though. They want her out of the way but then they didn't want her dead. And I was like, I don't understand, because when, I forget who was talking, but it sounded like they wanted them completely dead, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, 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 just, we want you in this place. It I was weird.
3: I think it's because Lennox, of mall fame, knew her before and mm. decided she would make a good assistant. I think there was a, a line or two about that. He's like a much
0: more nervous version of the Doctor. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So episode four, I think, is where we see Carrington really trying his damn hardest to pin everything on foreign powers. And this is a line he keeps to right up until the end, even though he knows damn well what's actually going on. Mm -hmm. And it just makes him look like an idiot.
3: I have to say, as a character, I don't really like Carrington that much. And I I find his plot to be very confusing. But the actor does an amazing job with what he's Mm -hmm. given. Mm
2: -hmm absolutely
1: that's a very good point this episode i mean the theme of it is seems very similar to the silurian episode in which we have humanity alien group oh we have kind of a cold war issue why can't we just get along and solve our issues or live peacefully together why is just all this immediate rush to animosity and military action Carantine his you're right his portrayal is so very good but his motivation
0: it seems rather ridiculous, in my opinion. The aliens killed his friend, and now yeah, he's you know, it. out to prove that they're evil.
1: Right. It just doesn't seem applicable because, one, why are you trying to prove if they're evil? Like, are they even going to bother to come here? It didn't seem like they were until you tried to lure their ambassadors over. It just doesn't make any yeah, sense. Yeah, the plot is like, wait, what? Like, how would you even orchestrate that? And then secondly... If all he wants is to... One, it doesn't make any sense. Why does he need to prove to humanity that they're evil because they killed his, his compa- compatriot? It's not like he wanted just to like murder them. In that case, just attempt to murder them. You don't have to inc- include all this espionage and conspiracy. You have access, apparently, to some sort of heavy weapons. Just aim to where you think they are and blow them up. Yeah, he's, he's the
3: head of this space defense force. He literally has the authority... To declare them enemies anyway.
1: Yes, it doesn't make any sense. And I was really hoping, and and when you with your comment, you made Don, you're right. His performance is very good, but his motivations are garbage. I keep thinking of, <laughs> I keep thinking of when I think of a military character that's a crazed, want to nuke everything kind of character, but actually has good motivations that you could makes it believable. And this is a weird reference. Sterling Hayden, the famous actor, was in the. Night, mid-80s comedy, Spies Like Us. He's a U.S. military commander that ins- intends to use military weapons against the Soviet Union for strike. And he has a monologue that's in a comedy film, incredibly disturbing and very well done. That's a good motivation. His motivation was a u- weapon that just stockpiles that you don't use is a useless weapon. This is getting nowhere. We need to do this. That's better. Yeah, it's better. It's better than yeah. just simple revenge. You know, just kill them.
2: What I didn't get is how all of these inside characters were connected and what their end motivations and goals were. Because I'm like, why in the world do we have D'Artagnan working with Regan, mm-hmm. working with this guy, working with this, like, none of it mesh. None of it made sense. And I'm like, okay, why is D'Artagnan, what, is, what does he want? What's his motivation? I have no idea.
1: It's like a league of of misfits where no one has the same motives of <laughs> continuing this conspiracy at least regan had an idea he was going to use them to
2: to
3: rob
0: places
2: his made the most sense
0: regan was a hired gun by carrington Taltalian was clearly part of the prior space mission that carrington was on lennox was being coerced and then everyone else who the hell knows but Quinlan wanted credit to have like first contact with an alien which doesn't really work when you immediately blow them up Plus for Quinlan, it's the Old Boys Network, right? So again, they probably went to the same school. I do want to add on to the acclaim for John Abinari as Carrington. We have seen him before. He was Van Lutyens in in Fury from the Deep. And I seem oh, to remember yeah. we praised him in that as well as one of the more sane and less shouty characters. Yeah. He's very, very good. Can we talk about the bomb or the bin. Yes. the bin. yes, we definitely can. Okay, so
3: so we have our, our smart scientist character who doesn't bother to look and see if it's said appropriately, and then it has the world's tiniest explosion that literally gives the doctor he has a Band-Aid on his face for part of an episode.
0: Yeah, it kills T'altalian, but is not very effective in other ways. All I would have asked for that, that I would have made that whole
1: thing acceptable is that when we see the after effects, you see the briefcase like with the side blown out, and you just see D'Artagnan's hands on it and nothing else. Just, oh, just detached hands. That would have been awesome, oh but but too graphic. I also
3: have a question, <laughs> since we're complaining about the plot of this, I don't understand how the control of the ambassadors work. Because it's not a remote control. They're living beings. It's only supposed to kind of tell them, hey, could you do this? somehow, using that interface, which I'm just going to ignore. But they're like, why did you make us kill people? You had a choice. You could have not done it.
2: Yeah, it seems like they're saying those things are mind control, but it's not mind control. It's a communication device. Are we back
3: to mind control again?
0: Maybe their orders from their superior up in space were, you know, when you get down there, do what you're told.
2: No, uh, no, 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 no.
0: Not not good diplomacy. Yeah.
2: Not good, Anthony.
3: Make sure before you kill someone, shout diplomatic immunity. <laughs>
0: All right, so cards on the table. I really enjoy this story, and I'm trying to figure out ways to fill these plot holes. So full disclosure there. Well, then let me
1: provide you with something that I really did enjoy in episode four. I thought the cinematography of the scene where the ambassador shows up and invades the base, and they have them in the bright daylight, and they have, and I'm no... J.J. Abrams here, but I love the lens flare effect. That's very good. You know, it looked really good whether you see a person in an astronaut suit. It looked like it was sunset and a lens flare in the day with those colors. It was unusual. It was a wonderful sci-fi image and it was great. I really enjoyed that.
0: And what was it? Was it a harp with the music as they're slowly walking towards? Yeah, I think that scene is iconic. It's up there for me with the autons crashing through the windows in Spearhead.
1: I thought that was just really good imagery. But I will uh, also add that in episode four, one thing that really bothered me was the scene where the Brigadier and the Doctor are discussing D'Artagnan, and there's a back and forth where the Brigadier says, you have suspicions about D'Artagnan? Do you have any evidence? Like, yeah, he pulled a gun on us. That's the evidence I have. You do not remember that? It just happened.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He does make the excuse that he was acting under orders from Carrington, though.
2: But still, but what? No, no. Again, Anthony, no. And final thoughts.
1: Yeah, final thoughts is the closure of this is that the doctor is talking to Sir James and he's like, "Okay, enough of this bullshit. Let's get to the bottom of it. And Sir James says, oh, I guess. All right. I guess there's no way I can change your mind. Nope. Well, then I have no choice, doctor. Please come to this abandoned road in the middle of nowhere at midnight. Don't tell (laughs) anyone and bring a tarp. (laughs) I mean, it would be a lot better if the doctor said, he's obviously leading me into a trap here. He wasn't, though, in all fairness, but it was so suspicious. That would have
3: been a wonderful scene. Instead, we get where the doctor has lost his sense of peripheral vision and his hearing based on Mm -hmm. the enormous amount of noise that the ambassador was apparently making or the
0: soundtrack was making or rip the hell that was. Yep. Yep. So episode five then. Well, so we end with the ambassador approaching the doctor having just killed Sir James and suddenly they feel like a proper threat. You know, now that they are menacing the doctor and we've seen them kill someone who we thought was going to be important to the plot. I think that's really well done.
2: We thought Sir James was important to the plot?
0: I thought he was. <laughs> All right. He was about to tell the Doctor everything.
2: But what I liked here at the beginning of Episode 5 was the Doctor figuring out that the alien seemed to be more on a mission, not wanting to attack random people. Yes. And I really liked that because, again, it's the, the Doctor being smarter than everyone else and figuring that out.
0: And then we get Regan, who is so utterly blasé about the unit soldiers who died. When Liz asks him if the brigadier had been killed, he just says, afraid not, just some of the other ranks. <laughs> I love Regan, though. I love him. He's such a bastard.
1: I He is, but I love him, though. And part of the reason is I, he reminds me of the gangster character that Michael Palin would play on Monty Python. <laughs> he even has the same type of suit. It's... I love him. I loved Reagan. He just reminded me of him. And so I just had a soft spot because Palin's my favorite Python. But anyway.
2: I mean, as much as I dislike his character, his character is the only one that makes sense that has an actual end goal, who has a plan and he's played very well. So I'm like, kudos to you, sir. And he's
0: doing everything. He is so active in this thing. (laughs) We have him threatening Liz by putting a gun under her chin. We've got him going off to sabotage the Doctor's launch into space. I mean, he's everywhere and doing everything. He's the unsung hero of Carrington's operation.
2: But you know what one of my favorite interactions in this whole thing was, is when they're testing the Doctor to see if they can send him up into mm. space, and they're just like, uh, what? What? <laughs> What's going on here? And he's like, don't worry about it. I'm fine. Let me go. <laughs>
0: In the previous episode, you have Cornish saying, well, all, all the astronauts are suddenly unavailable. And Dot's like, hey, I can go. I've spent more time in space than literally anyone on this planet. I love that.
2: I love it. I love Mr. Cornish. I haven't been able to talk about him much, but I do actually really like Mr. Cornish.
0: He is great. And we have seen Ronald Allen, the actor, in the past as well, because he played Rego in The Dominators.
2: Oh, dear.
0: Oh, awesome. That classic yeah so you're trying to build up
3: this story and defend it and you bring up the dominators really
0: (laughs) i guess where i'm going with that is this is a redeeming story for someone who is in the dominators (laughs) that is true
2: okay oh you know another redeeming quality is in episode five we finally get another woman on screen.
3: There was you? another woman in the first two episodes. She didn't have a name, but she was really hot. I don't know if that counts as what you're going for.
2: <laughs> did she have any lines?
0: Yes, she yes, did. Yes, she actually told she the did? Brigadier what was going on at one point. She was like, this this is everything in stupid military terms so that you can understand it. I thought she was going to be a bigger character, and I was disappointed that she wasn't.
2: Well, okay, I'm sorry. There's a second one then. Okay,
3: good. The, the blonde one... <laughs> Who also doesn't get a name, as far as I know, which is kind of sad. But it's also kind of hot. Also true. <laughs> oh my
2: god,
0: guys. Julie, we had three seasons <laughs> of you doing this with Jamie. <laughs> give, <laughs> us, give us our one episode.
1: <laughs> All right, go ahead. So episode five is roughly the, we gotta launch the Doctor and outer space episode. And I don't know about the rest of you, but when the Doctor immediately volunteered himself, my thought was... Considering this is only a few serials into the third Doctor, I'm like, this son of a bitch is going to do this just so we can escape Earth, isn't
0: it? <laughs> <laughs> nope, he's actually trying to do the right thing.
1: <laughs> See, that would have been kind of funny because instead of
3: ripping off Mass, they could have ripped off Lost in Space. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But you have to admire the acting that Pertwee does to simulate the G-forces. That was nightmare fuel. His face of that, that was pure <laughs> unadulterated
0: nightmare fuel. How did, <laughs> how did they do that? I really don't know. A pretty powerful hairdryer, I think. <laughs> I guess. Let's talk about Lennox. The, the poor guy finally grows a spine, escapes, goes to unit, and then someone just casually puts a radio, uh, radioactive isotope in his food container.
3: Because no one at this space center knows how to guard a door or an entrance <laughs> or generally do their job.
0: Well, and the person who does it sounds suspiciously like Benton. So is Benton a murderer? But I think Cyril Shaps did a great job. Like He takes it off, sees what it is, and immediately backs up to the wall with a look of absolute terror on his face. And yeah, someone else has been murdered. There's a lot of it here. There is a lot of murder here. When Regan's going off to um, sabotage the Doctor, he just casually kicks someone off of a platform from what looks Mm. like is probably a 50 foot drop, casually killing someone else. It's pretty brutal. But yeah, I think the timing of this one, as I mentioned, Apollo 13 happened between episodes four and five. And there are those lines of the Doctor lifting off. And it's mentioned that with the sabotage, he's in danger of slingshotting into the sun. I think the timing on this, while completely coincidental, is brutal.
2: There's some of that. This was where some of the model work started to go wrong. <laughs> uh, that's all I'll say about that.
0: Are you specifically referring to the large UFO and what it might look like? Yes. 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 <laughs> but the model work of Mars Probe 7 and Recovery 7 once again look fantastic.
2: Mm-hmm. They do. All right. Episode 6.
0: I really enjoy when the doctor
1: finally arrives at the alien space, whatever you want to call it, and he gets out and we have that cute little special effect of him just kind of going down. He goes in and then he meets the astronauts. I don't know. I thought that was a very different take than you would expect instead of like seeing them like completely just comatose or like zombies. They're there talking to each other like they're watching a sporting event. That was pretty funny. Because they were. They were watching a game. They thought they were, but they're under mind control. No, 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 no. Mind conditioning. Not mind control. That's that's the other doctor. We get mind conditioning with the third doctor. No mind control anymore. It's very nuanced. Yeah, nice try.
2: I don't particularly care for it. I'm not a huge fan of an alien race just coming in and being like, so we're just going to manipulate them. They have humans in their spacecraft. They could just be like, hey, there are people down on Earth are being dicks. Can you maybe talk to them and get this all sorted out, please? Thank you. As I said in
0: the short summary, they have video phones. Both sides have video phones. Tell them your goddamn selves.
3: I I think they were trying to keep the astronauts from losing their minds or something. I'm not entirely sure. I don't know why they were hanging on to them after sending their ambassadors down.
2: They had three ambassadors sent down. And so when they weren't sent back, they kept their other three that they wanted an equal swap.
0: Okay. Yeah, it's basically a hostage situation. We're going to secure the safety of our ambassadors by hanging onto your astronauts. I don't think that's how ambassadorships work.
2: And you're not <laughs> wrong. And that's why this all just doesn't make sense to me. Like most of the plot of this whole thing doesn't make sense also, to me. Also,
3: the doctor arriving on that ship and that special effect was terrible. I just want to say that that did not look good. Even in in the 1970s, that him just badly floating down, that did not look good.
1: I don't know why I found that charming. It doesn't look good, maybe because of how
0: silly it was, but I found it charming. I don't know why. I can tell you, watching it in the mid-90s in black and white, it didn't look nearly so bad. That's probably true. I believe it. Yeah. You lose a lot of that weird fringe around stuff. Power of black and white. Let's talk about the aliens themselves. The so one we meet on the spaceship, he, she, they have some pretty weird, like, arm movements as they're talking. Are they Italian? <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, I spent a lot of time in Italy, and Italians, while they are very uh, expressive in their arm motions, none of them move their arms that weirdly.
2: <laughs> I just have minimal thoughts on these aliens because they're just kind of there. They don't add that much to the plot other than being that device that makes a plot.
1: Yeah. Because their personalities are very flat. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Their personalities are flat. Their motivations are basic, generic, we want to establish contact and nothing more. They have no personality.
0: And um, when we see the one in Regan's little hideaway take off its helmet as it's kind of approaching Liz and it's all kind of like blue and lumpy, <coughs> he's an ugly git, isn't he? <laughs> oh,
2: wow. I like You're bad. so rude. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> it looked a lot more horrific in black and white. I think seeing it in color kind of ruins that. It
1: looked like bad zombie makeup a little bit. A little bit, except it was too heavy on the blue.
0: The bluish green was too much. Much better in black and white, I promise you.
1: It was fine, though. I think we should have had the reveal of what they looked like, maybe episode by episode five or episode four, not at the near the end of episode six.
2: Yeah, then they could have just kept it hidden the entire time.
1: Yeah, they are definitely more menacing and more interesting looking if they're just in those spacesuits wandering around.
2: Yes. So the doctor goes back. He's like, OK, I'm going to take care of this. I'll get the humans to do their business. And then he's in the decontamination room and he has his robe on and he's like, do, 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 "Do everything is fine. And I loved it.
0: I really love the way that this story uses the waiting that's inherent in space exploration to build up tension. So you look at those scenes and it intercuts the Doctor's return to Earth with Regan getting back into the base, ready to gas the Doctor (laughs) when he's in decontamination. And of course, once he's on Earth, feeding into what Julie was just saying, you see him in the dressing gown, you know he's going to be at least an hour in decontamination, which gives Regan time to get in there and kidnap him. I think the pacing in this is very, very smartly done.
1: Yes, I agree. Is this the episode where... General Mortal Duty has a conversation (laughs) with the Brigadier about how he can't stop people from being captured or killed, or like he just talks about how they just keep having failures. This goes back to how Julie was saying earlier about Unit is just
0: failing left and right. Yeah, Cornish says that, and then Carrington shows up, tries to blame everything on the Doctor, questions Lethbridge-Stewart about him, and then does his first actual mention of moral duty, and Cornish makes the comment on how he thinks Carrington's insane.
1: I agree with Carrington. The Brigadier can't stop people under his order from being captured or killed. But at least he's got a belt now. And it looks so much better. (laughs) Especially
3: when Carrington is the one that's having them captured or killed.
0: (laughs) That's true. How do you keep not stopping me? And Carrington has almost the other problem. He orders Regan to kill the doctor and then Regan promptly doesn't. (gasps) So we get Carrington just as the cliffhanger showing up at Regan's hideaway and says he's going to kill the doctor because it's his moral duty. (laughs) (laughs) The moral duty cliffhanger, episode seven. Episode seven. All right. And this is where we finally get the reveal.
1: And this is, I always think, a bad idea, especially with longer serials. It's not a good idea to only reveal the motivations of the antagonist or the hidden antagonist till the very, very last episode. That just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. No. Because it builds up so much. It's very difficult for anything to pay off that well at the end, especially when you only have 30 minutes to resolve it once the story has told you what it is.
2: It also doesn't help that they did such a better job with building up Regan as being this bad guy, and then all of a sudden it's like, nope, it's the general, and this is why
0: mm-hmm. I mean Regan has always made it clear that he's acting under orders from someone, and we've all kind of had a hunch that it's carrying Because who else could it be
2: yeah, who else could it be but it's but it's still poor storytelling when you're just sitting there, and it's like, oh, okay, like we're just wrapping things up, so here's all the rest of the information. go have fun, like it's not good
1: yeah it's 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 just tough it's not it could have worked better see and maybe this goes back to what don was saying this could have been revealed earlier but you would have to have had a better motivation for the general since you don't have a good you know, motivation for the general you sweep it under the rug and and you leave it till the episode seven the very end and try to just kind of let it
0: breeze by the audience yeah and, and this is, I think, when we really get it explained. When he was on Mars Probe 6, they encountered the aliens on Mars. They accidentally killed one of his buddies. He thought it was on purpose and that they were using Mars as a staging post to invade Earth. And he is genuinely convinced that he's right and that he's doing the right thing. I like that aspect of someone who genuinely believes that. But there are one or two holes in it.
3: One or two holes. If he genuinely believed that's what was going to happen, he doesn't need all this other crap. Yeah. I'll give
0: you that, Don. Sheepishly.
2: (laughs) Mm.
1: Later on in episode seven, and I know I'm jumping around here, we have... I'm going to skip over the action scenes because yay, action scenes. (laughs) Uh, You know how much I love them. I really enjoyed the standoff. There was a standoff between... Or a... Talking to you back and forth between the do- uh, between the brigadier and the general, and I really enjoyed that. I don't know why when he had tried to get the brigadier arrested. I don't. I just found that really interesting because I don't ever remember seeing authority being used over the brigadier before in such a drastic manner.
3: I love the brigadier's escape though. Stops ways walking, elbows both of little action sequence. That was great.
1: Yeah. It's nice to see it's not
0: just unit that are incompetent. I know.
1: It's the entire British military. <laughs> <laughs> it's just two groups that are completely incompetent, tripping over each other. This is why you lost the
0: empire. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. I love how the brigadier basically gets maybe four unit troops and storm space <laughs> command in Bessie and, and somehow manages to take them all out and have Carrington surrender. And getting him to surrender was
1: really striking to me, and I was hoping for more of a breakdown from him as a character than him just kind of being okay. When, when you say striking, do you mean anticlimactic? Yes, because I'm just trying to be kind. You're
3: under arrest. He goes, Oh, all right then. It was my moral duty. He just he just stops. <laughs>
2: Especially compared to what happened with Regan, because Regan, they capture him and he's super smug and he's like, yeah, you need the astronauts, don't you? Uh Uh-huh. You need these guys. And they're all like, he's right. Whereas moral duty is just like, all right, I guess I'm done now. Well, and I think that's
0: because, you know, you think about it, Regan's kind of a, he's a mercenary, he's a lone wolf, he's a rogue. He doesn't really care for the chain of command. He doesn't care for law versus Carrington, who is very military and kind of respects that the brigadier has come in and has really basically come up with a reason to put him under military arrest. And he's still adamant in what he believes. He, as he's being walked away, he stops to try and almost convince the doctor. And I thought that was an interesting call that it's the doctor he felt like he needed to say something to. And then he says, I had to do what, what I did. It was my moral duty
3: he really thought it was his moral duty, he would have tried to go ahead with the broadcast. I I don't think that was a nice touch. It just seemed like they didn't know how to end it. The only thing that makes that scene saleable is Ebernary's performance.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
1: My question is, when in the British military do they give you one of those whacking sticks <laughs> that the general and the brigadier had? And secondly, does your rank make your stick longer so they can determine like who has the authority by measuring their sticks together is that how it
0: works <laughs> no and i believe the answer is when you become a major but i could be wrong uh, if anyone okay. listening knows please let us know i do love how awkward the ending is it really feels like the doctor
1: is leaving a late night talk show <laughs> he just kind of is like all right say goodbye to you you're gonna take care of that it's a good night everybody see you everyone and i'm off exit stage left
2: I don't understand it. It's one of those things where the doctor generally tends to want to make sure that everything happens, especially the last time when he watched the Silorians get blown up. And this time he's like, oh, no, you totally got this unit like unit could have blown them up and he would have never known.
1: They just immediately just mercenarily just shoot both the ambassadors right there. Point
0: blank. At this point, you know, he's watched Unit help him get them back. I don't think he thinks Unit going to kind of repeat the that's Silurians. True. You know, they've done right. so much in this to assist.
2: I wouldn't trust them.
0: I do love how the doctor goes kind of as if to shake the hand of one of the ambassadors and then says, goodbye, gentlemen, have a nice trip. And again, that's like when he went to shake the hand of the Silurian for me. It's just a really doctorish moment. Yeah. But that takes us to the end of the story. Acknowledging not everyone is going to enjoy this one as much as I did, let's go ahead and rate it. Julie, I think we start with you
2: this time. Oh, dear. I was just okay with this serial. I thought that the plot needed some work, needed some tightening up. It did not need to be seven episodes, and there were just way too many weird music choices that were made. But we do have Liz being a very strong character. She doesn't become a damsel in distress, even though she gets kidnapped. There's a lot of good doctor moments, and there is some really good acting, regardless of what the plot is. So I'm going to give it six weird, jazzy interludes out of 10.
0: Okay, Riley, you're up next. This serial feels
1: like it's another stap at the Silurian serial, except the mistaken enemies don't come from below. They come from outer space. Uh, the show still seems like it's trying to find its best version of itself under this new doctor and the new setup of him being stuck on Earth. When I th- was thinking about rating this, felt the exact same as I did when I was trying to rate the Solarians, but just a little bit worse due to the absolutely inane plot. But the music in here was awesome. I liked the imagery of the astronauts. I thought that was really cool looking, or the, excuse me, the ambassadors. And you know what? It was still fun, but I have to rate it a little bit lower than Solar End. So I'm going to give it five and a half Hayhoes and Silcox out of 10.
0: Okay. <laughs> Don, over to you. This
3: cereal and this type of cereal gives me the opportunity to do one of my favorite things in the world, which is... To take the piss out of Antony and some of his more fanboyish tendencies, <laughs> and there is no greater joy on this earth than being able to do this. This serial has some problems. The plot doesn't make any sense. The music is weird at times, and sometimes I felt like the titles were out to get me. <laughs> but as, as much as I, I've ragged on it, it's not. It's not bad. I didn't hate it. I enjoyed quite a bit of it. It has some really, really good guest actors. Liz Shaw character just made me so happy all the way throughout it. So I'm going to give it six random
0: magic tricks out of ten. Wow. Okay, so I really am going to be like Riley was with the web planet on this one. Way out of sync with everyone else. I have made no secrets of it. I really enjoy this story. Yes, it has a few plot issues. I think that comes down to the fact that it's partly Malcolm Hulk, it's partly Trevor Ray, and it's partly David Whitaker. It's effectively written by three people who didn't necessarily know how long it was going to be, so that was a factor in it. But the performances are outstanding. The direction is outstanding. I really enjoy the music. Just there's something about it that I really love and I find incredibly fun. And maybe there's an element of nostalgia in there as well. As I mentioned, I first saw this one in the mid-'90s way back when it was being repeated on UK Gold, and I've loved it ever since. So, recognising it has some difficulties, I'm still going to give it 8.5 isotopes out of 10, and screw you guys.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's
3: fine,
1: that's fine, you do that.
3: Never let anyone else's review get in your way of enjoying something, unless it's this, because that's just wrong.
1: But anyway... (laughs)
0: Uh, I do want to give a shout out. I briefly mentioned it, but we do have a quarry in this episode. So I want to recognize the one quarry of the entire season. But with that, we are out of time. So once again, thank you for joining us. We will be back next episode when we look at the final story of season seven, the epic seven-parter again, Inferno. But for now, thank you very much for listening. And as always, have a good one. You have been listening to Watches in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julie Filipec, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, Vicious Quater Masturbation, was recorded on Wednesday the 14th of July 2021. If this is your first time listening in, all of our previous episodes are available on your favourite podcasting app. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at AtWatches4D. And you can also email us at Watches4D at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and leave us a review or rating on your favourite podcasting app. All of those things really do help the show. And always remember, always do what your moral duty tells you to do, even if it may possibly cause an apocalypse wrought by militarily superior aliens.